Welcome to Beyond Parking, a Parking Logics podcast about parking technology and how it affects the world beyond the parking spot. Hello, and welcome to the Beyond Parking podcast. I'm Jason Singh, and I'll be hosting today's episode. I'm the head of West Coast Sales and Operations here at Parking Logics, and I'm really passionate about how better parking can make for a better world. Today, I'll be interviewing uh, Travis Hargett. Uh, really excited. Uh, he's the operations manager, Park Smart Advisor. Um, I think, uh, like, parking supervisor for the city of Eugene. I think he's a man of many hats and many positions. Uh, and we'll be discussing uh, right now uh, how Eugene has been impacted by the pandemic in terms of uh, changes in how people travel, uh, how parking and transportation has changed, and how the city is responding as they're moving forward. Hi, Travis. Great to have you here. Hi, Jason. Thanks for having me. When we had spoken in the past, uh, Eugene was hosting, you know, the Pan Am Games and and the Track and Field World Championships. Um, is is what does events what are, or what are events going to look like in the future? Um, and uh, for the city, uh, is that something that you know Eugene will have another crack at? Is that going to be you know are, are, are you know these types of events going to come back again? Yeah, that that was really up in the air. We didn't know what the future of the World Track and Field Championships was going to be. Um, we actually just finished hosting the U.S. Track and Field Trials. Mm-hmm. So that was a big one. And then right after that was NCAA Championships. Um, we built, we just completely remodeled Hayward Field, which is the historic um, home of Nike. Um, and we, we, doubled if not tripled the seating capacity in preparation for the world championships and then of course they got paused um but we have been told that they are still on they're just going to be in 2022. okay okay so everything's just been kind of postponed until next year at this point gotcha Gotcha. Yeah, yeah, that's what we've been seeing uh, to events again, um, you know, all over the country, and 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 that must be commonplace right now. Um, and and I guess with that, you know, obviously a lot of budgets have been hit, um, you know, especially capital projects to you know not only host events like this, but to you know parking and transportation, you know, public works. Um, how has that impacted you? And have you gotten any help, any kind of uh, additional funding or, or government funding to uh, facilitate some of the projects that you were working on? So I'll address that first from just a, a parking standpoint across mm-hmm. the municipality. Um, mm-hmm. Literally overnight, um, our budget was decimated by 90%. Yeah. Uh, within the city of Eugene, the parking services is an enterprise fund. We don't receive any money from the general tax, general fund. Um, we have to generate our own revenue to sustain ourselves. Um, and because of the fact that the budget just completely went away, um, we had to be subsidized by the general fund. Uh, we still have to be subsidized by the general fund because we haven't fully recovered at that point. Um, the first fiscal year end of COVID, uh, the general fund had to cover us almost two million. Uh, this last fiscal year ended 30 June and they had to cover us by just over 700,000. Um, we do anticipate this current fiscal year that started July one, they will not have to cover us. But one thing that we are experiencing is a, a significant staffing problem. Um, several people saw the writing on the wall and, and obtained different jobs. Um, 
the, the staff have been cut by close to 60%. And that's not because we cut positions. That's because people sought out other opportunities. So we're trying to overcome our budget where all of our capital projects were canceled. All contracts were terminated. Uh, we've actually used this opportunity to relook our business practices um, to figure out what we can do smarter, what we can do leaner um, to, to save some money. Um, what can we do that doesn't require a contract and, and somehow build our program in such a way that it allows us to, to do it without having to expend the extra funds on contracts. So that's been a, um, a little shining star in, in the pandemic from that standpoint, allowing us to do a full reset on it. But now we have to rebuild the entire program, um, scrimp and save for our capital projects. Um, we haven't received from a parking standpoint, any relief, um, whether through the CARES Act, through the ARP or any of the other ones, parking has not been identified. Uh, I know that IPMI has been petitioning strongly to include the, the local transportation systems within that, but the only ones that are, I've seen that really get it have been the airports and other like mass trans that fall underneath the CFR 49 code of federal regulations. Mm -hmm. uh, they're the ones that are getting earmarked for funds. Um, City-wise, um, our general fund took a huge hit. Of course, we're completely funded off of property taxes, mm -hmm. primarily. Um, it took a pretty big hit. Um, we've we've had a, a large insurge of vehicle and tent camping folks move into the area, which is causing some problems within our business community. Uh, we didn't we expect this fiscal year to be the hardest hit. Um, yeah. Once we get a full understanding of the ARP funds, which we think we'll, we'll be able to, to salvage most of it. Um, if we didn't get the ARP funds, yeah, we this fiscal year, we'd be hurting pretty bad and we'd be have to talk layoffs and all that stuff. But we believe that the ARP funds are gonna kind of save us on that. So I guess there was no intent to actually let go of any employees. Um, uh, up to this point, unless the ARP funds didn't come in, right? Nobody was really gonna be furloughed. Uh, we allowed some voluntary furloughs just to mm -hmm. save some funds. Mm -hmm. A lot of, some people chose to retire um, right. instead of sticking around with all the stuff going on. Um, furloughs were never openly talked about or layoffs. Right. But they definitely remained on the table. Um, I think that with the ARP funds, the talk of that's going to lessen as mm -hmm. long as that level of funding is able to be sustained mm -hmm. and we won't have to do any, any furloughs. But I, I think that much like the parking fund, the, the city as a whole has had to relook at what they do. Um, we've had several businesses that when the pandemic first started, they were bulk permit purchase orders for commuting um, in some of their downtown garages and they canceled their contracts. And I mean, we're talking a right. couple hundred permits per company, several companies. And right. they made the decision that it was cheaper to give people a home office stipend mm -hmm. and then to have them come to work. And so they, hmm. they, turned off their lease at their place or they downsized it. And now what they do is they, they create these common work areas to where 
no longer do you have offices and things like that. It's more of a, an open gathering location if you need to come in. Otherwise, you're working at home. Yeah. And some of these, these, and Eugene has a pretty strong tech base. They're yeah. not coming back. They've no. already said it's cheaper from a business perspective with our employees, and the employees are loving it. They get a home office stipend, and that's where they stay. Oh. Amazing. Amazing. And I think that's the trend that we're that we're seeing uh, going forward. And I don't think anybody's really going to be coming back to work uh, uh, after that, especially from the tech field. But um, and obviously that that impacts on 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 how they travel and how they get to work. Um, you touched on before, you know, uh, regarding how how programs have changed and, and, and what that looks like moving forward, um, having no contracts and maybe saving money a little bit. And I just wanted to know from, you know, I guess, obviously, since the pandemic, is that the biggest impact? Uh, can you touch on a little bit on how these programs have, have changed? You mentioned not dealing with contracts, perhaps, and, and maybe having to save maybe a little bit more money. What other things, uh, you know, if, if you want to do just a, a small comparison pre and, and, and post? Hmm. So, I mean, a, a big thing that we're looking at for on street, particularly, is... Yeah. We had slowly started making the move away from single space parking meters to multi-space meters, um, mm -hmm. one per block face. And so from a, a budgetary standpoint, putting one of those on a single block face compared to a slew of single space meters, uh, it's about 20% cheaper, mm -hmm. um, if not maybe even more. Maybe closer to forty percent cheaper to put a single space meter on there than all of it. Plus, it cleans up the the urban landscape, and so we have made a decision, and we've used some of the the catalysts for within COVID, especially around the University of Oregon um, mm -hmm. and the New Hayward Field and stuff. To where one of the first things that we're investing in is we're pulling all of our uh, single space meters around campus probably close to five, 600 of them and replacing them with multi-space meters. And we do that for multiple reasons. Um, you think about it, a, a basic parking meter, you have intrinsic fees. Mm -hmm. It's got cellular, you got all your merchant fees, plus you have to have the licensing so that it's turned on, you're getting a monthly charge, and then you have to maintain it. And then you have to collect the revenue. Yeah. So yeah. by switching to multi-space meters, it's a single item that's covering 10 to 12 stalls, depending on the block face. So you've cut your costs by that much. And then from yeah. a maintenance standpoint, they're much easier to maintain. And we see that when we switch to multi-space meters, we stop um, receiving physical currency. Everything converts to credit card and we expand our, our mobile app. And yeah. that allows us to terminate a contract that we used to have, costs us a ton of money. We we don't collect our own currency because we put the liability on a contractor. Um, right. We audit them to say, okay, the machine said you collected $20 in revenue and you physically make sure that we, we make sure that they pulled $20 in revenue just from an audit perspective. But switching over to these is going to allow us to either renegotiate that contract or actually start doing the collections in-house um, because they're going to be a lot less revenue and there's a lot less to collect. 
Yeah, you think about it, you got one machine on a block face versus the 10 to 12 that you used to have. So that's a big change. We've that, we've switched huge. over and tried to use the license plate recognition more than what we would traditionally have used it for. We're starting to try to use it for um, traffic trends, um, using it for car counts on block faces, mm -hmm. uh, much like you would the parking logic system within a garage being able to show the trends. We mm -hmm. are using LPR for on street to show the trends across the city. So that's a, a big one that we've changed, um, particularly with the pandemic. And we were using that as a litmus on how many cars are we seeing moving around? Because so if we can, if we take in the occupancy or vehicle counts on street, compare them to some of the, the counts that we're seeing off street, it gives us a full picture where we mirror that up with the parking logics data, we can actually see what's going on within the complete right of way in the transportation system. Yeah, that means you you really have a 360 view on on all the traffic coming in and out. So no, that's fantastic. And and I guess with that, like what have you what have you been seeing? What has the data been showing? Are people coming back? Um, is there an uptick in you know on street off street parking? Is is are things coming back to pre pandemic levels, or are we still have work to get? to that point so it's it's cyclic um yeah. the, the problem that we saw was the way that the, the way that oregon had it was you had to have so many days of so many case counts and then it would lower your risk level mm -hmm. and then it would open more things up but then mm -hmm. if you were bad and got too many you'd go backwards and that happened several times we had some ups and downs and so We'd go down to the, on the risk level and people like, yeah, everything's opening up. Let's everyone's going to start doing their thing again. And then poof, we'd go back into the higher risk level and then everyone had to shut back home. So the up, the turning it on and off caused a lot of hiccups within this system. Um, uh, effective 30 June, of course, we removed all restrictions um, except those related to the Transportation Security Administration at airports and other mass transit locations. And we are seeing the return. Um, the true test is going to be when school comes back in in September. Uh, when the U of O is in session, the Eugene population almost doubles. Yeah. Uh, so it, it brings a lot. And then just right before the pandemic, the University of Oregon opened up a brand new, um, it's called the, the Knight Science Center, named after Phil Knight, owner of Nike. Yep. Yeah. To the U of O has a goal to become more in to the sciences, mm -hmm. not only from an education standpoint, but from the research and all that stuff. And it's two, like I think it was a two billion dollar new facility. And right before the pandemic, it opened, and then pandemic hit and went away. So we anticipated a ton of new folks moving into the area for that, but things kind of slowed down. So. We're seeing that uptick again. The housing market here is ridiculous. You can't find a home to buy. Huh. Um, they're not building anymore. So it just makes it even um, a larger problem. Um, but from a, a transportation standpoint, I would say we're probably around the 60, 70% of what we were pre-COVID. And I guess when and with universities, especially, uh, you know, University of Oregon and most universities across the country uh, are going to be coming back in the fall. 
uh, I guess like September, October would be a good litmus test in, in, in how people are actually coming back, right? Yeah. Absolutely. Um, and just to and just to transition that uh, a transition a little bit, you know, obviously the uh, the Pacific Northwest, you know, really recently uh, went into a major heat wave, and I just wanted to know, um, I guess from a in in the summer, has that impacted parking at all? You know, were more people inclined to drive and maybe uh, use less scooters or bikes or anything like that? Has 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 there been a shift in 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 vehicle traffic uh, because of that? Um, we don't have electric scooters here yet. Um, okay. We're working on that. And that mm -hmm. I, a lot of that was put on pause once COVID hit. And so we got to turn that back on. We do have a bike share program. Um, I don't have data on that, but mm -hmm. anecdotally, from what I'm seeing, they're not being used very much. I think that the, the uptick in the temperatures that we experienced for that short period of time, people actually left. People went to the mountains and people went to the beach. So <laughs> you see the traffic that you would um, normally within the downtown and around the area. Uh, people left. The, people just left. That's not a bad idea. Absolutely. Because no. <laughs> it was hot here, but it was beautiful in the mountains and it was beautiful on the beach. So that's everybody flooded down there. You have so much access to nature there that people could just go and, and, and you know, go to those kinds of various no, yeah. fantastic, fantastic. And then, uh, you know, with that, just to, you know, start, you know, capping everything off, talk about a, a little bit about yourself in terms of some of the accomplishments that you were able to achieve during COVID that you may not have been able to do before. And I know you touched on it a little bit, but um, has COVID allowed you the opportunity to do certain projects that you weren't able to do before? I think one of the big successes that we were able to get within COVID was the creation of a new position. Uh, we've been trying to do this with within the city and trying to get it adopted across the industry. Um, one of the things that we experience um, for everyone that has a parking program is is we call it a the this stigma of a pink wage to where your traditional officers or your maintenance staff they got this stigma that they're just they're a lady in a bonnet wearing a skirt and carrying a clipboard because they're meter maids. And that might have been true back in the 60s or 70s when somebody would put a, a nickel in a machine and turn a dial. But the world of parking has drastically changed in the last 20 years from a technology standpoint. Yeah. And also the expansion of what a traditional department is required to do. Um, Localities are realizing that if they have an officer, whether just because they don't have a badge and a gun, they can still be utilized for some low level stuff so that you can then use the cops that have the badge and the gun to go deal with crime. And that's one thing that we were able to do is we created these new positions called neighborhood service officers, which is hopefully the future of a traditional parking officer. Um, and it filled in gaps within the city that other municipalities also experienced um, that were not tasks in the right of way that were not getting done and tasks in the right of way that were trying to be pushed on law enforcement. But it's not a crime. Mm -hmm. So why are we having law enforcement do it when all we're trying to do is gain compliance? 
and yep. traditionally a parking officer, um, they're just trying to gain compliance. I mean, and that compliance could be through a citation or through education or, or whatever, you know, um, if they actually had to, but we just finally got the position approved after some internal battles. Um, hmm. It's going to be a two-year pilot, and hopefully that'll go. And that's we've been trying to fix this for a long time, um, from a wage disparity standpoint. Um, it's pretty. It was it was pretty bad when you compare the wage of what a typical parking officer does to others that do similar jobs in the right of way. Example of like code compliance. Right. Um, they work on private property, but they're doing the same thing. Um, what's the difference between them going through the process and taking your house mm-hmm. or me going through the process and taking your car. It's still personal property. Um, a lot of times people view their car as an extension of their home. Right. And so when you have a, a pay scale that a parking officer is being paid 40% less than a code compliance officer, it doesn't make much sense. But because code compliance is a traditional male dominated mm-hmm. industry versus parking where there's a stigma of a meter made, it's it's proven to be a challenge. So we're optimistic that this is going to be successful and we can use it as a model for to share with IPMI and move forward. And as you mentioned, this uh, probably has a big uh, has an impact on your staffing as well. Right. So you mentioned yeah. becoming more streamlined, becoming a little bit leaner. Uh, this goes right into that. Right. Absolutely. Yeah. Oh, fantastic. And I guess just to to conclude, uh, Travis, can you tell me then or, or just talk a little bit about where, you know, some of the things that you would, that the city still needs to accomplish, like, you know, in terms of, you know, some hurdles or things that you wish that they can get over, you know, you just mentioned a good one over here. So like, tell me some of the, talk a bit about more of the, um, you know, I guess some of the challenges where, you know, the city needs to get to, what would you, where you would like to see it go? And, you know, just close off on that in terms of, you know, now that you're leaving, you're glad that the city of Eugene is at this point and, but we need to go over here if, just to wrap things up. So the biggest thing that right now that's impacting our community is um, the unhoused impact. Right. Um, we see it a lot up and down the I-5 corridor between California, Oregon and Washington. Mm-hmm. Um, and I don't know if it's um, a mixture of policies or what, but a lot of it stems from a ruling from the city of Boise out of Idaho. Right. It went to the Supreme Court. Um, basically says you can't ask somebody to leave a public location without giving them a place to go. So the city has really struggled on uh, adhering to the state law, the city code, responding to business complaints that there's people camping in tents, vehicles, they're blocking the sidewalk, they're leaving debris, human feces everywhere. Mm-hmm. Um, so they've struggled with how do they respond to that. On top of that, when you have the CDC telling everyone to shelter in place. So that's been a, that's been very difficult. Um, we've had some businesses who say, we've had enough, we're leaving. Yeah. Um, you guys aren't going to support us, we're not going to support you. So we're out. And in a perfect world, that's that's right now to me from a transportation standpoint, mm-hmm. uh, that's the biggest thing that the city needs to figure out. And it's not just us. We're not alone. There's a lot of municipalities on the West Coast that are experiencing this, that the challenge is, is much larger 
to tackle than what everyone thinks it is because um, there's that human element. Yeah. But then when you factor in like this, we're exploring buying land and building campgrounds. The But the problem is, is the moment that I build that campground and I establish some kind of behavioral expectations on it, people aren't going to go. So that old compliance, yeah. you build it and they'll come. That's not true with this. But at the same time, if you build it, you now have that resource to where now you can step up your enforcement to get people to comply because you have a place for them to go if they choose. If they don't want to go there and follow the rules, then you're now you're free to enforce to where if you don't have that place, you're open to some of these activists stepping in um, based on the Boise Supreme Court ruling. Comes back to compliance. Absolutely. And then our downtown, something that we were working with you guys for, for quite a while was our internal wayfinding program. Yeah. Um, which basically got all paused in COVID. Yeah. We were really close to, to finalizing it um, as we moved towards 2021 for the world championships. Uh, and yeah. now that those are turned back on, we're going to spin it back up um, to wayfind from the interstate to the garage, out of your car, and then on the street. And all of that's being played off of parking logics. No, uh, we're really excited to, to start that project up again. Look, Travis, thank you so much for uh, for your time today. This gives us a, a lot of great insight on on what's going on with uh, with the city, the path forward, and and obviously, um, you know, your new position at the airport. Uh, it seems like the airport is ahead of the curve in terms of volume, and, and the city is is still uh, is still on its way getting there. But uh, I want to thank you again for uh, for joining us today, Travis. Really insightful stuff. Really good stuff. Um, and and of course, we, you can. Uh, you can Absolutely. <laughs> Thanks a lot. Thanks for listening to the Beyond Parking Podcast. Take a minute to subscribe and never miss an episode as we continue to explore the world of parking technology and how it affects the world around us.